The portrayal of a relatively functional family dealing with difficult social problems in Incredibles 2 provides a good framework on which to discuss parental and gender roles from a Christian worldview. Are you just watching episode 87, Incredibles 2, part 1? Welcome to the podcast that shares critical thinking for the entertained Christian. I'm Eve Franklin. I'm Tim Martin. We actually, I know I saw this movie while it was in the theaters a long time ago. Yep, what I was did that? too. Like nine months ago. Yeah. And we both decided that there was so much in this movie that we wanted to wait. Instead of doing an initial reaction, we wanted to wait till it came out on DVD. And it is now out on DVD, the beginning of this month. And so we're going to do two parts because, well, two episodes, there's so much content, couldn't squeeze it into one. Uh, absolutely agreed. <laughs> um, I loved the first Incredibles. I think it was, well, you, Pixar just can't go wrong. I, I haven't seen a Pixar movie I hated. I, I won't say that I love them all equally, but I haven't seen <laughs> one I hated. And this one, I it just, the, the original Incredibles captured so much about the original love of of animation and superheroes. It just encapsulated it all into one neat little ball. And it's just fun to watch. And there were some things in the first one that, you know, politically and socially and even having to do with the stresses and strains of married couples and family and all of that stuff. There was a lot of that in there. But I think Incredibles 2 just took that and upped the ante quite a bit. Yeah, I really feel like the the whole... Incredibles 2 universe has tapped into the Saturday morning cartoon vibe mm -hmm. from my childhood and, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, it dropped in the family and we can sympathize with every single member member of that family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, from our teenage angst years to now being parents and, and uh, even, you know, Dash and, and Jack-Jack. Yeah. It, they just did such a good job making, uh, giving us a piece of every character. Right. All the characters are caricatures of, I mean, almost like stereotypes of a type, but yet they're so real that they don't feel two-dimensional. They have depth and character that is just unique to that character. You know, it's just one of those things that, that makes Incredibles so great is yeah. that you identify with the characters that they, even though they're superheroes, they're like real people. Yeah, I, I think the writing, because uh, the original was written by Brad Bird, too, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. he, he yeah, really I think does, he created the characters. Yeah, he he builds his script in such a way that uh, it really helps you uh, engage. And I think that part of that, if, if our listeners have the DVD, like we have the extended Blu-ray DVD, or the one that you get off of Prime that has all the extras, right? Uh, there is a extra on there that talks about Brad Bird and all of how him personally in his background, how much he invests of that in his characters. And what I found very fascinating about it is that he started as an animator. So he didn't start like as a director, he started as an animator. So he's used to creating characters. And so I think that that skill from, from being an animator in old Disney it has really played a part in, in how he fleshes out the characters mm -hmm. and, and the fact that he draws from his own experiences and the things he remembers about growing up and his parents and 
he throws all of that in there. So I think that's why the characters feel so real. Yeah, he 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 seems to be in my mind. He's almost like the heir apparent to the Disney storytelling throne. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he does a terrific job. And then the composer <laughs> in this is our old, good old friend Michael Giacchino, and he turns out another wonderful Disney score. <laughs> You do a Disney movie, you get Michael Giacchino. He's like top of the list. <laughs> yeah. One of the things I must say about it, the incredible score is that it speaks to not only the type of heroes that we're depicting in Incredibles, but it, it actually creates an era with the music because they, they're targeting kind of like a 50s, 60s feel. Mm -hmm. And... His music really captures, like, the jazzy feel of the music really captures that era, as well as the superhero-ness of the characters. So we'll play a little bit of it here. One other little housekeeping thing to take care of before we delve even more into what we liked and disliked about the movie is the fact that you should check in out the plugged in review. Um, if you are going to be showing this to your children, though, it is a children's movie. And I think for the most part, it is quite good. Uh, there isn't a ton of really bad stuff in there. I noticed there were a lot of OMGs in there yeah. and which is. I guess it's it's become so blasé, so everyday to take the Lord's name in vain that people don't even think about that being bad anymore. So they stick it in a rated G movie. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It it was in the news just recently, just in the last couple of days, that uh, Brad Bird uh, was complaining about The Incredibles 2 being classified as a children's movie hmm. in the uh, IMDb and, and Fandango and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I never got to read the articles, but, uh, I, I'm curious as to, uh, to why he was, uh, concerned about that. Well, one of the things that I've noticed about the content of this movie is they're very complex ideas. They're not the kind of ideas that a lot of kids are even going to be able to grasp. And a lot of this movie is going to go over the head of the average child, and the fact is, is that we're looking at family from a parental point of view in the in Incredibles. It's not mm -hmm. from the kids' point of view. There are scenes from the kids' point of view, but there's a lot of things that go on in this movie that are all about adults and how adults do life and how they handle family when it it gets out of balance with life. And and so yeah, I could see I could see Brad Bird being upset about that because even though it has it's animated and it's rated PG. The content of the movie is really, I think, the audience, the intended audience may indeed be parents. Yeah. He says in his in his tweet, uh, with all due respect, it's not a kid's movie. It's animated and it's rated PG. So it, you're right. It, it does. It dives into heavier topics. Yeah. And uh, it but but it does it so well that the kids yeah. can enjoy it and the adults <laughs> can enjoy right. it and it has great conversation value right right well the kids will be entertained because there's lots of action in it and the the extra superhero characters that are in the movie are 
uh, very funny in some ways. And so you, you can get a good laugh and a good giggle off from the kids on that kind of stuff. But it definitely is, you know, the more I think about it, and I had put this down as one of my likes, is that it really is an adult movie. Because it, but it's an adult movie that's suitable for children. Yeah, it's a lot like Inside Out was. Yeah, and yeah. It, Inside Out had those really deep, very emotional topics. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not ironically for the movie itself. Yeah, but was still enjoyable at pretty much every level for a kid. Right, and you know the main character in Inside Out was still a child. Yep. While in this movie, the main characters really are adults. Are the adults? Uh, yeah, it's an ensemble cast. Yeah, it actually, is. I, the kids got more um, screen action time in this one, I think, than than they did in the previous one. I would say it's about the same. You think so? Yeah, except Jack Jack. Jack Jack is definitely a, a more of a title character in Incredibles two than he was in the first Incredibles because he was left at the babysitter in the first yeah. Incredibles. <laughs> poor babysitter. Yeah, poor babysitter. Which is actually funny because if if you watch the extras in the removed scenes, they had a a storyboarded scene where they started the movie with them visiting the family to try and check on on the babysitter to make sure she was okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was really quite an entertaining scene, but I could see why they left it out. But it was a nice tie-in. But I think the tie-in was really more with the, the follow-up on the underminer. Yeah, and yeah. That that worked out really well. I think that was a good way to start the movie. Just plowed right from one into the other. Yeah. You know, both of these episodes will be out before Christmas. So mm-hmm. if you haven't gotten a Christmas present yet for the family, I think The Incredibles 2 is an excellent excellent choice. Just be aware that, like uh, like you said, Eve, it, mm-hmm. it does have a, a number of uh, places where it takes God's name in vain. Yeah. And it does have some harsher realities for young children. But... Not so much that uh, I don't think it would be uh, beyond discussion value, even for kids as as young as, you know, five or six afterwards, Mm -hmm. some great learning opportunities in there for a family. Right. Yeah, it is a good movie. And I think some of our discussion is going to really cover that. Yeah. That, you know, how much of the movie is there's value in discussing it and One of the last things that I liked, and then I'll let you delve into your long list. (laughs) I really appreciated that the villain was understandable. You know, in a lot of these movies, the villain is just villainous for no apparent reason. And I think that that's one of the things that Pixar has gotten very good at, is creating, fleshing out motivations for why the bad guy is bad. And... In this instance, in this particular movie, I really feel like the villain, Evelyn, is very much like the villain in Black Panther in that she has a very credible argument. She's just applying it wrong. Yeah. And we're going to make some of her argument and <laughs> <laughs> in our podcast. So I think her, her argument is very credible. And I think that that makes it even better when you're talking about a movie like this is that you can actually approach the villain from a perspective where she makes sense. Yeah. In general, for me, Mm -hmm. when you have a protagonist and an antagonist, if the antagonist is, if you can sympathize with the antagonist, it is so much better a story for me. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, even internally in your own mind, you're having this 
this war about, well, yeah, she's got a point. <laughs> yeah. But uh, maybe, you know, trying to kill uh, a, a couple hundred people on a monorail isn't the way to make it. No, right. Exactly. I feel like we kind of missed out when we did our review of the Black Panther because that was one of the main things that the Honest Trailers brought out about the Black Panther was the fact that the antagonist had the moral argument. Yep. And he was actually right, you know? Well, he, and he was right some of the way. He, some and, of the way, yeah. And honestly, I don't think, I don't think his argument was any more moral than right. that of, of uh, King T'Chaka. No. Right. T'Challa is the son. Yeah. T'Chaka was the father, I yeah. think. But where he lost the moral argument was uh, his implementation. Right. And, which and is that's similar. similar. Yeah, it is very similar. And her point in this one, she took a different lesson from an, a childhood event that than her brother took. And they went separate ways with it. And that's maybe getting a little ahead of ourselves. But I, the point I was trying to make is, is that she has a credible argument. And that makes her, fleshes her out to be a real person that I can identify with. And and where she is evil is that she is trying to make her point in an evil way. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciated that. And then finally, the last main thing that is just superb is the, that family values are front and center. Yeah. We so rarely see movies and TV shows that have a together family that isn't dysfunctional in some way. <laughs> and I really feel like that the... The pars just represent a good family unit and they have their their bad problems and they have their arguments and they have their, you know, but that everybody does, but they're a functional family. And I, right. it just, right. it just makes me so happy to see a functional family portrayed on the big screen. Yeah, it's, I wholeheartedly agree. It, it's, it's nice to be represented again instead of. <laughs> instead of what we're getting out of so much of of hollywood these days right well i had a a, a number of likes and actual dislikes because I, I remember when you and i both first saw this movie when it when it was out in theaters i was not as enamored with it as as you were um i <laughs> liked it but i didn't think it was great and i wasn't even sure it was better than the first one <laughs> but it, it's grown on me a little bit <laughs> and uh, I do, I do like it better than the first one, if only because now I've had the chance to sit down and really watch it, and I could actually rewind and and catch some of that stuff. And that's actually one of the things that I liked about it is um, I think it's probably more common in the last ten years than it was in the last uh, thirty years. It's much more common in in. Um, modern movies and uh, shows like Daredevil, I think we even talked about it quite a bit, to find hidden hints and Easter eggs embedded in it, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the things that I really enjoyed about Incredibles, especially being able to pause it because, you know, pausing it in, in a movie theater doesn't really work all that well. Yeah, people get kind of upset when you yeah, do that. Yeah, they do. Uh, it's, they started locking the, the projection room door on me. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> um. So one of the things I missed in my original viewing was um, the name of the brother and sister at the head of uh, DevTech. DevTech, thank you. 
the name of the brother, brother and sister at the head of DevTech are um, Winston and Evelyn Dever. And uh, I started thinking about it when Winston was doing his initial uh, pitch to um, Bob, Helen, and Lucius about bringing back the the uh, the supers. But then it hit me like a ton of bricks when Evelyn was introduced and going in knowing that she is the bad the, guy, the antagonist, right? Yeah. I was trying to figure out how Windever worked out somehow. And then I was like, Evelyn Dever, Ev, Evil Endeavor. Oh, man. <laughs> it, it, it was so, it was like hidden in plain sight for me. And that was indicative of so many of the things, the little nods and everything that, that's, uh, that are built in. Um, the, there's, uh, there's a couple different things from, from real life that are in there, like a Johnny Quest episode and an Outer Limits episode are, are put in there as well. And they both actually tie into the, the, uh, the understory and theme of, of the, the Incredibles movie. It's to itself. Right. Then, you know, there's other little stuff like at the very end, and this is something I never would have gotten without the ability to pause it. When Violet comes up and starts to patch things up with, with Tony, who still doesn't remember her. <laughs> uh, Once he's, gone, forever gone. Yeah. He's reading a book called The Death of Melancholy. And I thought, well, that's got to be a real book. But it turns out it's, it's not. Uh, but there is a book by Tim Burton who is another uh, rather famous animator uh, who wrote the melancholy death of oyster boy of the melancholy death of oyster boy and other stories. Hmm. So I, I don't know, maybe I'm stretching, reaching a little bit with that one. <laughs> you might be, <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but uh, it, it gets you in the mindset for watching for those little tie-ins. Yeah. And that's how conspiracy theories are started, really. Um, <laughs> uh, and finally, there's little adult stuff in there. Like um, it's, you find out early in, in the movie that uh, the program supporting the supers in hiding uh, has been shut down. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was thinking about this uh, earlier on. And, you know, the reason it's shut down is because there are so few supers left in hiding, at least in the United States, because a guy named Syndrome came along and killed them all. Yeah. Uh, so the program is shut down and their handler, uh, Rick Dickler. Dicker. 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 Thank you. Uh, uh, gets called about halfway through the episode and it shows him packing up his office. And he's already wearing a Hawaiian shirt and has a tiki cup on his desk with a little umbrella in it. And he is <laughs> ready to hit the beach, man. He is ready to go. He's done. Yeah. I think he has one of the wisest lines in the in the entire thing. Oh, yeah. You want out of the hole? First, you got to put down the shovel. <laughs> and I just love that because it applies in a lot of different ways. In this in this instance, it was because they were trying to talk their way out of being arrested for being supers, mm -hmm. you know, being supers illegally. But there's another instance where... Bob opens his mouth and inserts his foot. And I kept thinking he didn't take <laughs> Dicker's advice. <laughs> you got to quit digging the hole. You really, 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 really have to put the shovel down. Bob is, uh, his entire character 
is built around going just a little too far. <laughs> so there is stuff that I didn't like. And uh, oh. actually, one of them is one thing that I really didn't like in the first one, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, was actually toned down a little bit for the second one. And that's the interaction between Lucius and Honey uh, Best is their last name. And um, I, I don't know why it bugs me, but there, it, so many people find their dialogue so funny. And for me, it just is not the slightest bit funny. <laughs> and I, I honestly don't know why. Um, yeah. Maybe it's maybe it's a lack of... You don't have that kind of, of interaction with your wife, so it no. probably doesn't strike strike you as something that is legitimate. It's, it seems disrespectful and unloving to me, but I know that yeah. there are people out there who find it completely, uh, completely normal uh, and loving and... <laughs> Um, it, it's just not something that, that I can wrap my head around. <laughs> I think it's also a caricature because I, and I, and I feel like if anything, it's, if anything is stereotypical or mm-hmm. in an actual, uh, in an actual bad way, it's that, because I think that that is a stereotype of black couples that, and I, I don't know if that's the truth, but that's what it strikes me as. And, and if there was anything in there that was a bad stereotype, I think that one would be one. Because I, I, to to make it be the black couple that are, you know, yelling at each other and there's all this, you know, friction and everything. I think that that might have been an unfortunate stereotype. Yeah. But it, clearly it, it, it worked. Yeah. I mean, there are people so many who like people it. love it. Yeah, and and one of the deleted scenes was they'd actually toyed with actually showing honey in this yeah. in this one, and then they determined that that was one of the things that was so great was that you never see her; all you do is hear. Yep, and it allows you to gr- build in your mind what she looks like based on on the way she sounds. Yeah. So the primary other thing that I disliked, really, the only other thing that I could name that I disliked. Um, and it, this also is a complaint about so many movies now and probably is really only because I was watching it at home mm-hmm. where, you know, people are talking and, and, uh, there's other interactions going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, when there's an action scene, the volume of the music and the sound effects is turned up. Uh, it's gotta be at least doubled from yeah. uh, a normal volume scene. I noticed that too, and it bugged me because I kept having to turn it up to hear the dialogues, and yeah. then I would have to turn it down whenever the action would start because it would be too loud, even for me sitting alone in my house. Yeah. I was like, are my neighbors hearing this? You know, yeah. Somebody's <laughs> going to call the cops. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. That might be it. It might be a uh, an artifact of the whole uh, surround sound seven point two or. Yeah. 50 point whatever that it is nowadays. <laughs> uh but it seems like they could um they could turn down the volume. To, well, just balanced it a little better. Yeah. yeah. Um because I I think what causes you to do that is you can't hear the dialogue and so you turn it up for the dialogue and then the action scenes are too too yeah. loud. So if they had just created a little better balance there then it would wouldn't have been you mm-hmm. could have just set it at a comfortable volume. So one of the last things about being able to to view it at my leisure instead of in a movie theater is uh, I can go back and pay attention to continuity stuff. 
Um, and every film, I don't care if it's animated or not animated, uh, has some continuity errors because people aren't perfect. Right. Uh, but those, you know, those don't bug me because, uh, okay, so there's a newspaper on the, on the back of the toilet in one scene, but there's not a newspaper on the back of the toilet in, uh, They're just in a different camera find. shot. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when it, when it, uh, when it's stuff that doesn't seem to jive with the rest of the film, that mm-hmm. sort of bugs me. Or when it's stuff that is just steps me out of reality, back into reality a little bit. The first one is that way. Mm-hmm. When Elastigirl is going to rescue the ambassador, uh, when she realizes mid-interview, uh, when Screenslaver takes over, she goes to rescue the ambassador, and she immediately, when she gets into the cockpit and stops the pilots from being hypnotized, she kicks the two military pilots out and takes control of the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, what in the world makes this woman think? That she is better than two obviously trained combat pilots because they were both in either Navy or Marine uniforms and they wouldn't be flying an ambassador Mm -hmm. without some serious experience. And that that just bugged me that – and I know – I know from a creative standpoint it was to not mess with the the pacing and – and make I think sure the were, scene moved along. I think that there was a legitimate reason for that as well in the fact that she was trying to save not just the ambassador, but everybody. So she, because she asked everybody who could swim and then dunks them out, you know, right. into the water. And so I think it was more of, she knew that that helicopter was going to end up going down. And so she was, she was wanting everybody to be saved and she's the most flexible <laughs> And could get out of it and and become her own parachute, basically. Yeah. So she she knew, she was trying to save everybody, and and so I think that's why she and she, and she has demonstrated herself in the past to be a very good pilot. So it wasn't like out of the out of the blue. Oh, Elastigirl can fly a helicopter. She she was flying things in the first movie too. So uh, she she was she was just flying a jet. And uh, in this one, she flies both a helicopter, which is very different from an aircraft, and a boat, a giant yacht. <laughs> Three very different pilot things. It, I know, uh, you know, I know this is fiction, but uh, that bugged me. <laughs> um, maybe I was just sympathizing with the with the military people who were just kicked out by this newcomer, you know. Yeah, but she is a superhero. She yeah. she trump she trumps military. <laughs> <laughs> she outranks them. <laughs> she outranks military when she's when she's legal anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh so the other thing that bugged me is every other instance of uh the screen slaver's influence was immediately broken when the video went away. Mm-hmm. Whether it was the goggles later on in the show or uh, people being hypnotized. Uh, it was a plot point, actually, that breaking the picture immediately brought them out. Mm-hmm. Yet, when uh, about midway through the uh, midway through the movie, when Elastigirl is being uh, driven up in a in a limousine to the party to a party, there's this little girl, and they do this this sort of Stanley Kubrick esque reveal. She's holding a sign. A lot of people are holding signs there in support of the supers. Uh, the little girl 
turns with this really creepy smile on her face and the sign says screen slaver still out there yeah screen yeah. slaver is still out there and it, that just struck me as now wait a minute why is this little girl still under the influence okay maybe she's not under the influence but why wouldn't anyone around her comment on the content of her sign it it stuck out to me like a like a sore thumb i i, I think there could have been a better way to do that but uh, i don't know what <laughs> Yeah, I guess none of those really bugged me, but I won't defend that one. So, <laughs> I, so I that, mean, that, it, it was weird, but at the same time, I don't think it was saying that they anybody was under screen slavers influence. I don't yeah, know that yeah. that's what that was saying. I think it was just saying that she had not completely won, but I, you're right. Why would that sign be in the hand of a girl? So I'm not going to defend it, but defend yeah. her. It's, it's cinematically it worked. Mm -hmm. logically it just bugged me <laughs> but then it's hardly the first weird thing that i that i've latched on to as being bugging so uh, yeah i couldn't think of anything in the movie that i seriously disliked other than you know just the omgs watching mm -hmm. it the, the watching it closely for notes was when those really stuck out to me and and that's more of a personal pet peeve that we've gotten so um, lackadaisical about God and our respect for God that we just use it as an exclamation without any thought. Yeah. And a lot of Christians do too. So it's not, I mean, it, it's just not something we even think about anymore. And that, and it's sad to me that when you're do, giving something a G rating or a PG rating that, you know, it just, it's so doesn't mean anything that it's, it's just there. Yeah. I, I brought this up with a discussion I was having with an atheist. It's like, why do you use the Lord's name in vain if you don't even believe in him? Yeah. And and she was like, well, it's just language. It's just what people say. But in the context of this this movie, in the context of the the era and the the universe that they've created, there is no God. So why would anybody even swear by him? Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's it's become so commonplace that even those who have no desire to be associated with God uh, mm -hmm. still slip him into uh, common phrases like that. Yeah, um, and I without wonder, even realizing it. <laughs> um, it's the only other uh, the only other world religion that I can think of uh, besides Judaism and and Christianity that has a uh, that is monotheistic like that is um, Islam. Mm -hmm. Do they have, I wonder, a similar struggle, you know, with... Uh, no, because with... if you take their prophet's name in vain, you're you're executed. Yeah. I mean, they actually... The most um, extreme cases, they're very, yeah. Yeah, they're, well, they, everything's an extreme case to a, to a Muslim because it's built into their religion that in any... Uh, in fact, that's one of the reasons why they deny that Jesus died on a cross, because the, it, in their mind, having that kind of horrible death for for a prophet of God is just horrid. Yeah, the humiliation. It, the humiliation of it and all. So, yeah, they're they're even stricter about it than Christians yeah. are. So uh, it, The Incredibles 2 is, is, as we've mentioned, loaded with <laughs> content thematic content yes yeah and uh pretty much uh for this first episode of two 
we're going to be uh, focusing on the uh, very tightly interwoven uh, themes of parental and gender gender roles that they they put in here. It, it's front mm-hmm. and center. Oh yeah, um, I'd say it is second only to the uh, the question of uh, of the existence of supers in in a legal environment to mm-hmm. just the incredible storyline. Right. Yeah, I mean, well, like I said, it, it, this is one of the uh, few cinematic or even small cinema, small, small screen mm-hmm. that portray a functional family. And what is so interesting about this one is it seems to have what you would, what our society would consider a feminist push because it shows, you know, the father staying home with the kids while the mother goes off to work. Yep. And, but I would I would I haven't gone and researched it, but I would assume a lot of feminists would probably be very irate about this movie because it shows uh Helen doing it somewhat she's not real enthusiastic about mm-hmm. leaving the home to pursue a career, even though it it takes her, you know, in front and center, as Evelyn says, in a man's world. She she yeah. gets yeah. to step out and, and but you see her, she's very reluctant to even think about it because her in her mind, what is most important to her is her home and her family and, and raising her kids. And she doesn't honestly believe that Bob can do it without her. And so I really feel like this movie breaks the feminist typecast of a woman leaving home to, you know, to pursue a career because yeah. she's, she's being forced by circumstances to do it and she really doesn't want to yeah i actually i i felt like i almost want to say redeemed itself but there was nothing to yeah. be redeemed from yeah um, it really uh really endeared itself to me by even though they were forced into roles that they are not comfortable with or uh familiar with mm-hmm. the um bob and helen still are uh, loving and respectful and uh very much i want to say scriptural with their parenting mm-hmm. maybe the if you wanted to be really fundamentalist uh you could say that the arguing at the dinner table was uh completely improper mm-hmm. uh but even that it it's such a uh such a a volatile topic that mm-hmm. I can I can see it coming up at around plenty of dinner tables. It's where it's as as we're recording, we're a week away from Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And show me a Thanksgiving table that's not going to have at least one political comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Going back to uh, Ephesians five uh, twenty two through twenty nine, wives submit to your husbands as as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of the body. Now, as the church commits, submits to Christ, also wives are submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, uh, The Incredibles is not a uh, it, it's not a theologically uh, based movie, <laughs> but I feel like the relationship between Helen and Bob uh, really does demonstrate this deep-seated love that Ephesians is talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, particularly, there are scenes where, you know the question, does this dress make me look fat? Every husband (laughs) dreads it. And it takes takes like a decade of marriage to get to the point where we come up with proper answers. (laughs) Without opening mouth and inserting foot. (laughs) Or or telling a white lie. (laughs) Yeah. uh, uh, you know, it's, I know Christians out there who will always argue for the white lie, and that, <laughs> that yeah. drives me crazy. But there's a scene where Bob is on the phone with uh, with Helen, and Helen is in this swanky hotel. Uh, she's just had her first really big day. She saved the, the whole train of passengers, and uh, she's really making great strides in being the standout hero that she really is. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bob knows that not only uh, does Helen need this. He needs it too. (laughs) Yeah. She is working towards a goal that will benefit their entire family. Yeah. Uh, It really is. What she's doing really is a necessity for their way of life. In the first movie, we saw the misery that Bob went through working in that insurance office, and um, and Wallace Shawn as his boss, uh, just it, it made me cringe thinking <laughs> of the the environment that he was working in. Right. And what I what I what I believe is going through their head is we are not going to subject our children to that type of existence. Right. Can you imagine being capable of stopping a tragedy but not being allowed to do it? Well, and and just not that. I mean, if you look back at his job, he was actually hurting people. And his inclination is to help people. And he Mm -hmm. was working for an insurance firm who was actually hurting people because they weren't allowing – they were coming up with all sorts of reasons why they couldn't make claims on their insurance. Yeah. And yeah, the, and that would have been just counter to his entire thought process of living is I'm here to help people not hurt them. So, yeah, I mean, it's not just by not doing anything, not doing what you're capable of doing to fix stuff, but also actively hurting people through your job is just that, that would just have been misery on top of misery. So when he's talking on the phone with Helen, you know, he's he's lying through his teeth. Right. <laughs> he uh, he is making everything sound uh, not only okay but blasé. Yeah. Uh, he and doesn't he is want way, Helen and way over his head, and he doesn't. Oh yeah. It. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he doesn't want Helen to have any reason to think that she needs because he knows she will. Right. If she gets even the slightest hint, is. Um, that that something is wrong. She is going to drop it all and come back and be the mother that she believes she needs to be. Right. And uh, I really, I really felt like their relationship is so much 
stronger really than in the first movie because you know the first movie had that whole uh suspected um affair line mm-hmm. right um but uh they are so much stronger a couple and that makes them so much stronger parents even though they disagree on the uh the legal strife that the supers are going through right i really appreciate that that they did that uh, even though the parental roles are reversed, mm-hmm. uh, I feel like they were still tra- staying uh, as true as a secular, uh, secularly presented fictional couple can to the ideal for marriage. And and I don't think and I, what I think was so nice about that is that they show the fact that the parental re- roles can be reversed. Yeah. And and you can still have the nurturing mother and, you know, the d- disciplinarian father. It it doesn't necessarily. That's what I thought was so freeing about this movie is the feminists have always telling women they can't be women, that they have to be out and and being just like men, you know, mm-hmm. living in the men's world, just like men. We're just all completely equal. We don't have our strengths that make us different um, gender wise. And I think this movie really brings out the fact that. Even when you're switching parenting roles, one is still the mother and the other one yeah. is still the father, you know? And yeah, even though the, the dad is home with the kids and the mother is out working. Right. And I, I think that that was what I really appreciated about the way they flip the gender roles, the parenting roles, but not the gender roles in yeah. this in this movie is that she's still the nurturing mother, even though she is at a distance doing superhero work on on a day job having to travel away from her family, she's still there, even in the middle of chasing a runaway train to mm-hmm. tell her <laughs> child where, you know, the shoes are, you know? Yeah. Under the bed. Where else would they be? <laughs> Someone's calling. Switching over. Hey, Mom, I can't find my high top. Dad can't find him either. But he won't call you and ask. So why? You're not calling your mother. Dad, honey, can't talk right now, but look under your bed, okay? Yeah, I super appreciated that, that this is a functional family, even though they are being forced by circumstances to switch parenting roles. They are still each what they are are meant in a godly marriage and in a family to be even. And and I think that they maintain that balance perfectly. And the fact that she she was doing it because she had to, but she didn't really want to. Uh, I think that represents probably the vast majority of women out there who are forced by circumstances to work when they would much rather stay home with their kids. Yeah. There is a small percentage of women who would prefer working to staying home with their kids. Mm -hmm. But I think that this is where feminism has gone wrong in our culture today is they seem to think that that small percentage represents all the women. Yeah. And they keep striking out because it doesn't. Even the women who are busy making careers for themselves w- would always put family first. Yeah, there there are those out there who who hold that the maternal instinct, which is a very real thing, oh. must be beaten down mm-hmm. and uh, even destroyed. Mm-hmm. It, it, I think that that's just so wrong. Yeah. Uh, just like the paternal instinct. It doesn't mean that the the man has to go out and be the breadwinner. It doesn't mean that um, the woman has to to stay home barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. No. But we are given these desires because it creates an environment that is best for children uh, (laughs) to raise our family in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think it was um, uh, Ben Shapiro was listening to him. I listen to him all the time still. And he made a comment the other day. He was talking about um, men teaching, you know, this new thing that goes around society that we're supposed to teach boys not to rape. And and he was like, no, we need to teach boys to be what to respect women the way he's saying that he was raised to respect women and and all of the things that come with that. And feminism is beating down men for respecting women. And then they turn around and say, but don't wait, rape women. And he says, it starts when you're t- training your boys from childhood to respect women and to follow that, that interior motive to protect. And if you don't let them protect, then it changes the way women looks to them. Yeah. And they just become sex objects because what else are they? And, mm-hmm. and he, I thought his points were really good is that this, this is the roles that women and men play in raising children is giving children a functional view of how men and women are supposed to interact. Yeah. And if you're not giving them the, that proper role model, then they grow up with a completely skewed understanding of how, of what each of the sexes stand for. And you know, if that's not taught at home, then it, Ends it isn't up reverberating taught. through their entire <laughs> through the through the kid's entire life, right? Um, it's uh, as of the time of re- this recording, it's not too long after the midterm elections, mm-hmm. and here in Virginia Beach, we had uh, a significant number of school board seats that were up for renewal, and um, you know, when it comes to very local elections, you don't get the uh, you don't get the full page write-ups on the candidates' yeah. dances that you do when it comes to uh, uh, congressional seats or, or presidential. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you have a good local paper like uh, the Virginia Pilot is, then they, they, they try to give you enough information to make uh, – Educated make a, choices. A, yeah, an informed decision. Right. And so I noticed that uh, a number of the candidates uh, actually made it a point to talk about – uh, how important it was to uh, encourage respect of the staff from the students. Mm-hmm. And not just the teaching staff, but the bus drivers, the crossing guards, the school janitor. You know, they all mentioned something along the lines of we, we've got to restore respect to our classroom. Mm-hmm. I don't recall a specific story in the last couple years that would have prompted this focus on students respecting the staff. So I, I was sort of looking at it as a uh, as a symptom of the the greater problem that we're seeing, which is uh, you know kids are being raised to to believe that that respect is not something that should be given. Yeah, I think they. They're raised now thinking that somebody has to deserve it before they give it. And I don't, yeah. I don't, and it's difficult because you can always find somebody who doesn't measure up to what you consider to be somebody who deserves respect. And we were raised in the South, especially, and I guess Virginia counts as the South, but I was raised in the South. and <laughs> Just barely. You, you, <laughs> just barely, yeah. Uh, I was raised in the South where every any adult older than you regardless of how old much older than you is a ma'am or a sir and yeah and you get you get in trouble you get you know spanked if you don't use it properly yeah and and absolutely yeah so 
respect is used to be something that was taught strongly. And I think the, the most recent generations have not been taught it. And we've become a generation and of backbiters and lack of respect. And, you know, they, they just don't care anymore. Yeah. Part of it at least is, uh, can be linked or traced back to social media with the animate anonymity that you get with social media comments. Yeah. You have no reason to respect the other people that you're interacting with. And, and that's Certainly sad. not as if you're you're facing them face to face, but that can't help. That idea can't help but to bleed over into your normal life. Right. If you're not willing to treat people online with uh with respect, it's it's gonna start being that you are not gonna treat people that you meet with respect. Right. And uh, I know my kids were raised to respect uh, to start with the utmost of respect and, uh, you know, it, even maintain it if the person looks like, uh, is starting to look like they probably don't deserve it. Right. Um, but their actions should inform your decisions, not necessarily to not respect them because they're terrible people, <laughs> but, uh, how much you're going to trust them and how much, uh, well, people just deserve interact respect with them. Just because every every person is an image bearer, they deserve respect. And I don't yeah. I don't know that respect is something that you have to continually uh, inform people that you need. But we're getting off topic. We want to get yeah, back we to are. Um, we're we're getting away from dealing with with uh, poor Bob oh. getting left home with kids. Um, one a one a teenager, one an overactive uh, adolescent, and then a baby who has. Um, <laughs> He's almost a toddler now. Yeah. Uh, By definition, gets, I guess he is a toddler, but uh, yeah, he he's on that line. Yeah. So, which nursery does he go to in church? Does he go to the infant nursery? <laughs> does he go to the toddler nursery? Yeah, the ones and twos. Jack Jack is is an interesting character. I think you know they threw him in for the comedy relief, if nothing yeah, else. But absolutely. He, but he, I think that. That what they did was they took the whole concept of the terrible twos and they just made it worse by adding powers. But that's, that's <laughs> from what I understand, I have not raised children myself, so I've never had a child that age. But it, it just seems like they, they took all of the normal headache that you have with a kid and mm-hmm. they just turned it into a power. So. <laughs> yeah. If I had to guess, based on my own kids, uh, uh-huh. I would say Jack Jack is probably about eighteen months. Yeah, and uh, it, it is before they. It, it's the part where they start pressing the buttons. <laughs> they are learning what ticks off mom and dad, and they're starting to reach out and press the 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 edges of the envelope to see how far they can get. Right. I just love the the whole reading him to sleep. And then he yeah. turns around and he's back out in the living room watching TV and reading him to sleep again and going to sleep while you're reading the book. And he's slapping his face to wake him back up. It's just it's, absolutely adorable. There was one time in uh, many, many years ago, my daughter, who's now uh, 27, <laughs> when she was three, three or four, we put her to bed and we put our uh, then youngest child to bed, who's now our middle child. She was a newborn and our oldest child decided that she was not done playing. 
<laughs> but she knew she couldn't come down to mom and dad because mom and dad would send her back to bed. <laughs> so uh, this was this was in a big old house in Maine. Houses that were built so well that, you know, they could survive a direct blast from a nuclear weapon and, and still be there. Uh, she snuck out the front door oh, no. and went across the street to the neighbors and knocked on their door and asked if she could come in and play. Oh, no. And they, of course, brought her back. Uh, yeah. So it's like 945 at night and the front doorbell rings and my wife and I are, I think That's we when you have to like to put those TV or something. Childproof things on your doors so they can't get yeah. out. Yeah. We felt horrible. I mean, it, we were. It was. It was like somebody had had put a huge scarlet letter. <laughs> <laughs> we lost our daughter. She left the house without our knowledge. <laughs> we couldn't keep control. But uh, that's the same thing, you know. She she was she was learning the ins and outs of what she is allowed and what she's not allowed. But she doesn't have enough information uh, mm-hmm. to make. Sound decisions, and I think that's sort of what we're seeing with Jack. Jack, yeah. But clearly, he is giving Bob a <laughs> <laughs> putting him through a the very ringer. hard time. <laughs> yeah, and even more so because he's he's dealing with all these powers coming out at the same time. Yeah, uh, Bob's descent into uh, <laughs> into <laughs> insanity is just so much. Uh, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde, to me, even yeah. the way they were uh, they were animating him. Yeah, he 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 gets unshaven and his hair gets goes everywhere, yeah. and he's just like it, it rings around his eyes and they're dark. <laughs> I tell you, the the most telling was was when he went to bed after finally getting all the kids to bed. He goes to bed and then he's like, "What am I, a substitute parent?" And then he's tossing and turning, <laughs> and they broke math, and he can't he can't shut his mind off. He's exhausted, but there's just. So much information that's bouncing around inside of his brain. I have been there so many times. And it doesn't even have to be kids. It's just my job and everything yeah. else. It's like you go to bed and it's like you try to close your eyes to go to sleep. And the next thing you know, it's just all these things that have been concerning you through the day are just you can't shut them off. And sometimes you do your best thinking then, but you really want to sleep. He ends up problem solving. He, he's, he actually gets a handle on some of the things there. Yeah, at one point he breaks. Yeah. He he goes off the, uh, on this rant to the kids, actually, when he just can't take it anymore. And I, I love that scene. Because I'm formulating, okay? I'm taking in information. I'm processing. I'm doing the math. I'm fixing the boyfriend and keeping the baby from turning into a flaming monster. How do I do it? By rolling with the punches, baby. I eat thunder and crap lightning, Okay. Because I'm Mr. Incredible, not Mr. So-So or Mr. Mediocre Guy, Mr. Incredible. And he's reached that point, and I have been there. Man, have I been there. (laughs) Where he he finishes this rant, and you just see the look on his face like... And that's what they call Lucius. That was too far. (laughs) And the kids, too. The kids are like... Uh, who are you? Let's call Lucius. It's time to call Lucius. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so then Bob takes uh, Jack Jack to Edna as what is to him a a last ditch effort to uh, try and maintain his sanity. Uh-huh. And he goes into this this little monologue about uh, how I broke my daughter, and I just love that one too. I broke my daughter. They keep changing math. 
we needed AA batteries, but I got AAAs, and now we still need AA batteries. Put one red thing in with a load of whites, and now everything's pink. And I think we need eggs. Yeah. Well, that that's just, I think, every parent out there. I think sometimes when you see the mom with the screaming children in the grocery store, it's so easy to judge them. You know, they mm-hmm. can't control their own kids. But you have no clue what they're going through. And it's, they just had to go to the store and pick up a few things, but there was nobody else to watch the kids, so they had to bring the kids mm-hmm. with them. And they yeah. fought in the car all the way to the grocery store. And you've already <laughs> and reached your And the baby wouldn't stop crying. <laughs> and the baby wouldn't stop crying. And you've already reached your limit. And then you go in the store, and there's people telling you, you know, you know, looking you at really you funny. Do that. Yeah. And yeah, I just, I think that this movie puts you in the shoes of every parent out there. <laughs> it's yeah. Like, I love I love that it gets Bob to the point where every problem is at the same intense emergency level. Yeah, uh, where being out of eggs is the same level as, as daughter as, as a broken daughter. Yeah, it, it's just so real, and and as a as a parent, I can so relate with it. Yeah, there was a cool scene if you get the DVD or the extras, whichever you get. They actually include another short with The Incredibles <laughs> 2, which is the background of what happens after Bob drops off Jack-Jack with Edna. And you don't see that. You just see him go home and collapse and sleep for 18 hours. <laughs> but in, they did the short of Auntie Edna. It is absolutely hilarious. It, yeah. was, it, it was, they should have, it was priceless. They almost should have put it in the movie. I actually, uh, at the scene where he's walking out after dropping off Jack-Jack, I paused the main movie, <laughs> and then I watched the short, and then went back to the main movie. Yeah. It just felt so right, right yeah. in there. I wish right they had left it in. Yeah. Or put it in, or, or whatever. put it in, you know? or whatever, yeah. Poor Bob figures it all out towards the end. Yeah. And I think that some of that parenting as an experience is he was always away from the home doing yeah. work. He never experienced the day-to-day hassle of raising three kids. And Helen was doing it. And mm-hmm. and she made it look easy. And she made it look easy. And he, he will respect her more in the future because yep. now he knows what she's dealing with. But I think that it was just he had to, he had to get his head wrapped around what all it took to, to be that parent. You know, the hands-on yeah. day-to-day. I will tip my hat to all the men out there who are raising their own children oh, because yeah. they are putting in the effort. There are a lot of single dads out there. We talk about single moms all the time, but men are not built to be mom. And those that are doing it, I just, God bless you for what you're doing. Yeah, you've got to come to terms with it differently. Yeah. And the way that uh, Bob, he literally, the way I look at it, he manned up. Yeah. And uh, he found the, the sweet spot of being a father and being a caretaker. Mm-hmm. So let's real quick jump into gender roles because we're already <laughs> running over for the first of two episodes. Yeah, these are going to be long episodes. Yeah, there, there's uh, there's quite a bit in here about touching on the role of men and women in society, and there are quite a quite a few comments mm-hmm. in here that uh, right off that, the bat, in fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in the very first scene. Yeah, that harken back to the '50s era type. Uh, gender stereotypes and it's appropriate since Mm -hmm. the technology level and the uh, the culture level is all uh, 1950s 
in that first scene where uh, Dicker, uh, even and- before you know why Tony is sitting down with Dicker, right? He says. It's not her fault superheroes are illegal. And it's not like I don't like strong girls. I'm pretty secure, manhood-wise. Which sounds like just such a 14-year-old, you know, <laughs> kind of thing to say. Yeah. I'm, se- I'm secure in my manhood. <laughs> and then uh, there's this scene after the presentation where Wynn says that Elastigirl is who he wants to go with. Right. But for our first move, well, Elastigirl is our best play. Better than... Me? <clears throat> I mean, she's good. She's uh, really a credit to her, but uh, you know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and this was the case I was talking about where poor Bob is, you know, digging his hole deeper with yeah. every word he says. <laughs> he really needed to put the shovel down on this one. And, and you know, he I think he realizes it at the end because he goes, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know. <laughs> Like, back me up here, guys. I, I don't want to be left out hanging. <laughs> that was a classic. Yeah. And that is, to be honest, the way, you know, the, the gender roles really work. That men are built, God built men to be the providers, to be the ones out doing the dangerous jobs. And we dealt with all of this when we were talking about the red pill. Because mm-hmm. the red pill really brought a lot of this this out. You know, we got to treat men as men because men have a unique gift that God gave them and a unique desires that are different from women. And, and we can't chastise them for doing and being what God made them to be. Yeah. But we do. Yeah. Because that's the world we live in. All equality. Yeah. Because when everybody is super, nobody will be. (laughs) That was one of the other extras that I really appreciated. I don't know whether you took the time to watch it or not, but the Everyday Heroes. The time, no. Yeah, there, there's a thing on there uh, on the extras called Everyday Heroes, and it's talking about all of the, well, it's basically all of the animators and the script writers and all of the different people that were involved in the making of the movie, and they're talking them, to them about their families. And, and there are actually several couples involved where the man is doing one thing on the movie and the woman's doing something else on them. And they're actually a married couple. <laughs> and so they both going to work to work on the movie. And there was a one couple where they would say, you know, if she had to be in for a meeting, he would stay home with the kids and then they would switch positions so that he could go in and do his thing. And yeah. they, they were all talking about how they balanced family with work. And I just thought it was very cool you know, that that was one of the things that the whole movie was about. And they took the time of showing that everyday people have these struggles, that every parent is a hero in the way that they deal with their kids. And yeah. I, I just, I really appreciated that. And I think that the that kind of emotion and that kind of respect and for parenting comes through. It just seeps through this movie in every aspect that yep. they built it in from you know, built it in there to be such an, an incredible theme. Yeah, they. I think they balanced the feminism concerns well, mm-hmm. uh, particularly the one scene where uh, Evelyn and, and uh, Helen are talking about uh, it, it being a man's world. Mm-hmm. And Evelyn asked the questions, where do you, where do you fall? Mm-hmm. And this is the conversation. It must be nice for you being out front after all this time. Out front? 
Well, it's been a while since your superhero days, and even then you were kind of in Mr. Incredible's shadow. Nah, I beg to differ. I'm not, I'm not saying you weren't big. No, you were and are a superstar. But y- you have the stage to yourself now, and people have to pay attention. Oh, you mean it's man's world and all that? Well, what world do you live in? Your brother runs Death Tech. I don't want his job. I invent. He sells. I ask you. Which of us has the greater influence? Which side of me are you asking? The believer or the cynic? The cynic? Would say selling is more important because the best sellers have the most buyers. Doesn't matter what you're selling. It only matters what people buy. This is true. So what would the believer say? The believer would tell you to make your mark. Don't wait for permission. Assert yourself and impose your will on the status quo. So it shows even Helen is struggling, you know, of two minds about Mm -hmm. how to be themselves as successful, productive women in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, one way is you've got to play the game because that's the way it is. And you're not going to succeed with without it. You've got to work from within the system. And the other one is like the system can can go off, uh, take a long walk off a short pier. Make your mark. Don't wait for permission. That that's the way that that is. And uh, even there are a couple comments in the movie that Elastigirl is assuming the gender of screen slaver because of the the voice. Mm-hmm. So it, for until she finally figures it out, she keeps referring to the screensaver as a guy, mm-hmm. which you know makes sense because the guy the the audio is lower, and Evelyn, who is eventually revealed to be the puppet master behind the screensaver. Chose a guy to be the uh, scapegoat. <laughs> yeah, exactly the scapegoat. But you know, it, it speaks to the assumption that the villain is going to be a brilliant guy instead of the woman, and I think that helped with the reveal. Yeah, um, and I think that that reveal helped, you know, drive home some of the uh, the gender deformity that that they're commenting on in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. It is stereotypical to think of, you know, the the mastermind as being a man. But at the same time, you you step on a woman and threaten a woman. She can be the the thing about women is that they don't they aren't strong. So they have to be uh, a little more devious in the way that they go evil. They, yep. they you know, the, the villain in the first movie was was trying to make himself super and you know, to attain, you know, the stereotype. But in this one, you have the the devious woman who's just trying to right wrongs. Yeah. The the way she sees them. And I think that that actually plays to the different genders as well, because, you, you know, the the boy who is not incredibly strong, he, he's fighting for strength, right? Mm-hmm. And the woman who sees a wrong is, is using you know, manipulating the system basically to get, you know, what she needs. And I, I, that just is a different way that the genders approach problems. Yeah. When you have to affect a solution, you use your strengths, you play Mm -hmm. your strengths. Right. Well, we'd like to know what other people thought about, you know, the, the genders and the, the family, the parental stuff in Incredibles too. Definitely will want you to, comment on that but before we completely close this down one of the biggest themes that's in this movie is all about screen slaving and about people becoming addicted to entertainment 
um, to the point that they're not thinking for themselves and they become slaves. And mm. when I saw that, you know, initially, when I went to see the movie initially, it just dawned on me, this is what this podcast is about. That's what Are You Just Watching is all about. We don't want people sitting in front of their screens becoming slaves to the propaganda that is hitting them. We are basically Evelyn. <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way, because we're not evil and manipulating the system. Well, oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so I just wanted to point out the fact that the purpose of this podcast is to challenge viewers to not become screen slavers. And in order to do that, I really hope that you will take the time when you're watching stuff to jot down notes, to pick out what the themes are, to think about what you're watching and not just, and not just absorbing it without any critical thought. And yeah. we would really love for more people to get involved in our discussions. We do have a discussion group on Facebook that you can join. Uh, you can comment on our show notes, which for this episode will be at areyoujustwatching.com slash 87. You can send us email at feedback at areyoujustwatching.com. You can call us at 903-231-2221 and leave a message. Uh, you can also upload voice messages directly on our website. All of those ways, we'd love for you to get involved. But the biggest thing is that we'd like to get to get your support as a Patreon supporter. Uh, we're still below our, our needed goal. And we have been since we started our Patreon campaign. We are thankfully bringing in and we dearly love our patrons. And I want to thank Amanda John, Craig Hardy, uh, and Stephen Brown II, and our new supporter, Peter Chapman, uh, for their monthly support. And we much appreciate it. This is what keeps this podcast going. Neither Tim and I make any money off of this. We're, we're not doing this for the money, but we do have costs related to the podcast that we need to be covered in order for us to stick around. So we really do appreciate. Okay. So our next episode, we'll be delving more into the screen slaver, uh, moral imperative, and all of the other underlying themes in the movie so we hope that you will tune in for episode 88 stay in tuned december. and sometime in december stay tuned thank you so much for listening i'm eve franklin i'm tim martin and don't just watch Are You Just Watching is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Subscribe to more of our podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodlemix.net.